welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. How do you know what the weather is going to be like tomorrow? You probably look at your phone, look at the weather app. If you've ever been to Paris, maybe some of you went to Europe over the holidays, how do you know what the Eiffel Tower is like? You probably saw it. Maybe you went up it. How do you know how to multiply fractions? (laughs) Or how did you know? (laughs) Somebody taught you. You read a book or something. Um, How do you know who won the Leaf game last night? I don't even know if there was a Leaf game last night. You you watched it. Maybe, Maybe you were there or somebody told you. How do you know your mom? (laughs) It's a totally different question about what you know, right? Because your mom is not an idea or an app or a concept or a fact or a place or a thing. She's a person. When I ask you, how do you know someone? How do you know someone close to you? How do you know someone you love? It is a kind of knowing that has to do with a personal relationship. It it actually encompasses everything about that relationship. All of the hours, all of the time, all of the conversations, all of the interactions, all the memories, all the experiences, all of the hugs, everything. Your mom, your stepmom, your adopted mom, whatever your relationship was with that person, to know them is a kind of knowing that is unique to interpersonal relationships. It implies a close, personal, ongoing, growing relationship. The stunning, almost scandalous claim of Christians in the first century is that God has made himself known. (laughs) That you and I can know God through Jesus that Jesus has made God known to us, that we can have a close, personal, ongoing, growing love relationship with a God who knows us and who we can know. I mean, whether that's new to you, maybe that's new news to you, or maybe, yes, that's something you've heard, but it should all make us pause and go, that is a mind-blowing truth. I mean, the fact is relationships are at the center of the universe, right? We come out of the womb screaming for love and affection and intimacy. On our deathbeds, we either um, delight in or regret the loss of relationship or whatever we have not had. Relationships become, we're reminded, the most important thing about our lives at the end. Relationships are the center of our universe, if you will. And Christian spirituality from the beginning has claimed that at the center of all relationships is the fact that you and I can know God like that in a close, personal, ongoing, growing relationship of love. But how? How would we know God like that? (laughs) I mean, the short but complicated answer someone might give is the Bible. We can know God through the Bible. But how? I mean, you might say, well, yeah, I guess the, you know, every religion has its, um, has its text, its holy book, its holy scriptures, and the Christian religion's text is the Bible. Isn't that true? Well, yes and no. <laughs> this is complicated. You might say, well, the Bible is the ultimate authority for how we have a relationship with God. 
Is that true? Well, yes and no. We might say, I don't really find the Bible relevant at all. Can't I know God, a personal relationship with God, without the Bible? Well, yes and no. Or isn't it all kind of too complex and mysterious? Like, isn't relationship with God just sort of a, isn't that a mystery in general? Well, yes and no. It's complicated. What on earth is this book? And if knowing God is both the greatest news and the greatest thing that we could be given or have as human beings, if that is in one sense in the purpose of our lives, how does the Bible, what role does this play in that? I mean, for many years of my life, I would say I sort of had kind of all three of those perspectives. I, I would have said, yes, the Bible is the ultimate authority in my life. Um, and yet there were things that weren't in it that I wished were in it, that I'd be searching and saying, well, I have to deal with this or I have to make this decision or I'm in this circumstance. How come there's nothing about it in here if this is the ultimate authority for me? Or there, were, there are things in it that I'm like, ooh, if this is the ultimate authority, why is that? And there's things I wish weren't in it. I have authors that I love and respect or people who would read the same passage and would disagree with each other about what it says as authoritative, like what is true about that. Two people who I respect who would, might read the same passage and come to different conclusions. So what does that mean? And then I've got friends who don't know God and would say they wouldn't want to know God because of some of the stuff that's in here. They say, well, if that's true, if that's ultimate authority, I don't think I want any part of that. So that's complicated. Then there were times in my life, and I would say even especially as a teen, where I felt like it was irrelevant to me. I mean, I read it off and on, where I would read it and forget what I read five minutes later. I would read it because I knew I was kind of supposed to, or somebody had told me it was a good idea, like a pastor. That's what pastors do. But I felt like it didn't connect with my life. Like it wasn't like I was going to it every morning going, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to get through today if I don't read this. Um, there were times when I felt like it was disconnected. I didn't understand it. How does it connect with my life? It seemed irrelevant. And then there were times when I was like, this whole thing is a mystery. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Maybe it's just, I'm just going to keep it on my night table and it'll, you know, send good vibes through the room. It's kind of all a mystery, isn't it? Who can really know? If it's true that you and I were made for relationship and that at the center of that is a God who has made himself known to us in a close, personal, ongoing, growing relationship of love and that that is the greatest gift we could receive in the purpose of our lives, what role does this play? Because the Bible does play an incredibly important role in that relationship with God. But how? And in what way? I want to start today actually with what I feel like is ground zero for that answer to that question and how we even understand the Bible itself. And we're going to read, actually, you're going to hear from, uh, it's a verse that says so much about the Bible, even though it says nothing about it. <laughs> and you're going to hear it read in two different translations back to back, English translations translated obviously from Greek originally. And I want you to listen because they are both the same section of scripture, but the impact is slightly different in the translations to help us understand where do we go with this? Where do we begin with this book? Let's listen. 
In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Going through a long line of prophets, God has been addressing our ancestors in different ways for centuries. Recently, he spoke to us directly through his Son. By his Son, God created the world in the beginning, and it will all belong to the Son at the end. This Son perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. He holds everything together by what he says. Powerful words. This passage tells us, even though it isn't speaking about the Bible, it actually tells us that the whole point of Christian spirituality, and in fact, the Bible itself, is revelation. In other words, God made known. If this book, or really collection of books, does anything, or was meant to do anything, it was meant to make God personally known to us. And in fact, the implications of our knowing him and our relationship with him. That's what this whole book is about. That's how that works itself out in our lives and what that means for you and I and our whole world that God has made himself known. That is what this book is about. And this verse actually, even in just these three verses, two and a half verses really, help correct, um, I think, three maybe um, unhelpful ways that we might lean, each of us in some shape or form, as it relates to the Bible and brings us back to the center, which is revelation. And the three ways that might need some correction or remedy that we need a remedy for, uh, we're going to do this together, okay? Um, you're going to use your hands here, right? First, do this, too high. This is one of the ways, too high. Hold your hands down here, too low. Too, everyone say, okay, everyone say too high. Everyone say too low. Everyone say too woo-woo, too woo-woo, okay? Those are the three ways that these verses actually correct some of the ways that we might lean and how we view this book. Um, the too high view, if I can say this, and, and for some of you, this is going to be like, wait, what do you mean? Is when we say, oh, the Bible is the ultimate authority in our lives. That might be too high a view of scripture. And here's what I mean. This verse actually says, in the past, God spoke to us through prophets and writings. This would have been the, the audience that he was writing to would have had the writings of the prophets where God had spoken to them. But he says, in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. In other words, it may have been through words in the past, but now something new has happened. God has made himself known or has spoken to us through a person, his son. Which is to say this, scripture is not the ultimate authority in our lives. Jesus is. Scripture itself tells us that Jesus is the ultimate authority. In a way, these scriptures point away from themselves to Jesus. And I don't mean it's like Jesus versus the Bible or whatever, but let me explain what I mean by what I'm saying and why this matters. And for those of us that might lean this way, what the risks are if we don't understand that this is what's happening here. 
this passage itself says, God has spoken to us or made a, a final or full reveal of himself through his son, Jesus. The scriptures actually tell us this. And what's so fascinating is one of the people in Jesus' circle um, who spent a lot of time with him, when he wrote his biography of Jesus in the Gospel of John, he begins it with this words. He says, in the beginning of the world was the word and the word was God. This is, like, think about this. This is how a fisherman starts his biography of Jesus. In the beginning was the word and the word was God. That word is from the Greek word logos and it has, it carries so much meaning with it. You can think about words like truth, reason, reality, wisdom, power, life. He says, in the beginning, God was all, who is all these things, right? Which if you think about who is God really, he is the center of all life and reality and wisdom and truth and power and love and reason. He says that God, that word, he doesn't say, was written down on some pages in this holy book, and now you read it, obey it, understand it, memorize it, repeat it. That's maybe what we would expect of religious language or religious story. He says this, that word became flesh and made his home with us. <laughs> that is the stunning truth of scripture, is the word, ultimate reason, reality, life, power, truth, became human, became flesh, and lived among us so we could see him, hear him, eat with him, touch him, and know him. This is why we must insist that scripture is not the highest authority in our life with God. Jesus is because scripture points to Jesus. And here's what happens because there are great risks if we have too high a view of scripture in the sense we put it above Jesus that it's possible to know stuff in this word, in these words, but not love and follow Jesus. To know stuff about the Bible, to study it, but not know and follow Jesus. And in fact, we know the religious people in Jesus' time had that very issue. There's one conversation that Jesus is having with the religious people who knew their scriptures, which was, you know, the first half of this, the Old Testament, who knew their scriptures better than anyone. They studied them. They taught others. They would have said, and other people would have said, oh, they follow all of this to the letter. They understand it and live it. And Jesus says to them, you guys have a problem. You search these scriptures, you study them, you know them, because you think that in them you will have life. But those scriptures point to me, and you refuse to come to me to have life. He's putting his finger on the very problem. You can know a whole lot of stuff about this book, about God. You can study it. But if you don't actually follow and love the one it points to, you've missed the whole thing. That is a huge risk that you could study and know this and somehow not know and love. And hey, whether you're, a, you're, not, you're not a Pharisee or someone who was a religious teacher or leader back then, but it is possible to study and read and think about this thing in a way without actually letting us lead us to follow the one that it points to. Because it is about him. It points to him. It reveals the one we're spent to love and follow. 
Another risk with that possibly is that we might know stuff, but not love others. Right? Like if we have a view of this that is wooden, that is hard, that is, these are the laws, this is the way, if this is, quote, a rule book for life, and in a couple of weeks we're going to talk about, how do we see this? What is the paradigm or the way that we view this book? If we think about it as a rule book for life, as instruction, as a moral code, which many of the people in Jesus' time did, but we don't see it as leading us to the one who leads us, who we follow. We can end up not only not loving and following him, we can be not loving to others. This thing can become a tool of judgment or oppression or control where we look down on others who don't know as much as we do or who don't follow like we do. And this is exactly what was happening with the religious leaders in that time. Jesus said to them, you, are, you follow all the laws, but you don't love people. You're actually failing all the time to love people in one sense because of your obsession with this. This has become a tool of control or um, uh, to make yourself feel better, or you burden people with its requirements without doing anything to help them. It is possible that, we can, that this can breed a judgmental attitude within us, or we might use scripture to fight or battle with others, that we can have an attitude that holds this so high and yet fails to actually love others to do what it says. And then it's possible that if we hold this too high, we can, and say scripture is the ultimate authority, we can actually be closed to some of the other ways that Jesus wants to make himself known. Which is interesting because the scriptures actually show us many different ways of God making himself known. It actually says that creation helps us know God. That time in creation, considering the beauty of the world God has made, reveals things about his character and his nature. That we can actually know God in a sense through creation, through beauty, through creativity. These scriptures actually show us people learning and knowing about God, about Jesus through other people, that other people have the ability to teach us about who God is, that we can hear from it. And not just people who teach us from the word, but who teach us about their own encounters with Jesus, their own understanding. This book actually shows us people who God revealed himself to him through dreams, that Jesus spoke to people through dreams that had nothing to do with a written word, but he revealed himself in a supernatural way, dreams, visions, or just even stuff that was going on in their body where suddenly they were made aware of a God who knew them, who loved them, and wanted them to know him. <laughs> this all happened in other ways than just this written text. When we hold this too high, we can say, oh, that's not in the Bible, or I've never read that before, or I'm suspicious of that. It can actually make us closed off to the other ways that God might want to reveal himself to us. And think about this. This was the story of the New Testament church. Most of the world at that time, only about 17%, they say, of the Greco-Roman first century world was literate. So they didn't have the ability necessarily to read. Most people didn't have the ability to read and understand that. Certainly, they didn't even have the second half of the Bible. They didn't, the accounts of Jesus' life and some of the letters, and certainly the accounts of Jesus' life, were written after there was already a New Testament church. There was already a community of Christians following Jesus without, quote, the Bible. What did they have? They had some of the Old Testament scriptures, which they were starting to realize were all about Jesus. 
They had each other who was helping each other, teaching each other. They had each other's experiences to say, I met him or I had a dream or vision about him or the gifts of the Holy Spirit that were working through each other to each other. God was revealing himself in other ways than just the text. They didn't even have mo- that, that, the whole New Testament Bible yet. They had letters that they were passing around and circulating, some of which are in here, some of which we don't have. This, this book references other letters about Jesus that were being passed around that we don't have, but they had. God was making himself known to them in so many different ways. And that's how the New Testament church worked in the first century. And this, you think about it, this is so unique because if you study or perhaps you have ancestry or even yourself a part of another religion, almost all other religions will say this about the, the, the founder and the teachings is that it's not about the founder, it's about the teachings. The teachings are meant to live on past the founder, whether that's Muhammad and the Quran or um, Buddha and the Eightfold Path or um, Hinduism and the Vedas. It's, it's bigger than the individual. It's about the teaching. Live by the teaching. The teachings surpass the founder. The scriptures, the Bible, say the opposite. They actually say the teachings point to the teacher. That ultimate authority is not found in the teachings, they're found in the teacher. And any authority that the book has is what it says about the teacher or what the teacher said himself. It is him that we come to to have life. In that sense, it's, a, it's not a what, <laughs> our faith, it's a who. It begins with Jesus. And so we have to be careful. We might have a too high a view of what we need to let it lead us to him. But likewise, this verse also corrects us or, or is a remedy for those of us that might have too low of a view of scripture where we say, oh, it's kind of irrelevant. This passage here in Hebrews says that, um, and the, 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 the message translation says that Jesus is the one who holds everything together by his words. Jesus is the one holding you together, holding our world together, keeping us from coming apart, keeping us from falling apart. In that sense, he, he, he is the center of life. Relationship with him is what keeps us alive and whole and grounded. But how else do you um, get those words except through reading about him and reading from his words? They give us life because he is the one who holds us together. The Bible cannot be too low for us and irrelevant to us. In fact, it says that same biographer, um, John, says about Jesus that in him was life and light, and this passage says wholeness. That in Jesus, the relationship with him, we have life. And that is this idea of life to the full, vibrancy, vitality, purpose, meaning. That we have light understanding, but not just illumination, understanding, hope, right? Light in a dark place gives us hope and wholeness, that he, he makes sense of the pieces of our life, that he holds us together. But the only way for us to experience that is when we can actually um, engage with him and grow in our relationship with this God who is revealed in Jesus through the scriptures, and if we, if we have a, a too low view of scripture, the risk is that we will have a shallow relationship with him. 
that if we don't actually access scripture, like you, yes, you can experience the presence of God on a mountaintop or through a song, but if that's all you have, your relationship will be too shallow. You have to climb back down the mountain and go and face the marriage that you're in that's difficult or go back to school where, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're struggling with your studies or the friendships that you have, or you have to go and deal with the financial crisis or the health issue that you're going through. And meditation alone, the mountaintop experience, the beauty of God in creation alone will not be enough. You need the living word, Jesus, who holds you together, who offers you light and life and wholeness revealed through the written word. You need more substance if you're going to have that close, personal, ongoing, growing love relationship with Jesus, the living word. We access that so often through the written word. And all the rest of scripture actually does that for us. It isn't just the teachings about Jesus or the teachings of Jesus. In fact, we can go through all the way through scripture and we see words of prayers like the prayer book, the Psalms. That's kind of one of the thickest books in the Bible. It gives us language to help us understand how do people relate to God. It gives us words to pray. So many of the songs we sing at church are based on these songs that other people wrote. It gives us language to pray when we feel like we've run out of words or our prayer life can grow beyond just help me, bless me. It gives us more complexity. We read stories of people, messy people, right? broken people like us. No heroes in the Bible except Jesus. All the rest of the men and women, young and old, were co- had complicated, messy, broken lives like we do. We can relate to their stories. We can see how God would relate to them. Their stories pull us in to help us understand our own stories more. There's images and poetry to help pull us out of sort of the doldrums of everyday life and give us a picture of the reality of a world that we can't see, but is more real than even the stuff that we can touch with our hands and see with our eyes. All of this comes to us through all of scripture. It it gives a depth and a richness to our relationship with God that without it would be too shallow, too thin. And perhaps the other risk is a relationship with, if we we hold too low a view of the Bible, that it's oh irrelevant, we can actually end up with a distorted relationship with Jesus where Jesus becomes a figment of our own imagination. Where we say, well, I don't need this to tell me who God is. I kind of know myself or I can conclude or I've read The Alchemist or I can look for other things and I have my own creation. And here's the thing, which also this book tells us, is that we human beings are tempted to make a God out of anything whether it's money or our identity or the opinions of other people or what we look like or whatever. We're always craving for something to say, this is ultimate reality, and this is what I worship, this is what I need. And we can even do that with our own ideas. We can make up a God of our own, like, and we, we cut out the parts. And I think it was Thomas Jefferson who did that. He cut out all the parts of the Bible that he didn't like and kept the stuff, and it was sort of this flimsy paper thing. We can do that in our own mind, saying, oh, I don't like that, or I don't need this, or I don't even need this at all. I can make my own idea of God. And we can end up with a distorted picture of reality and in the end a distorted relationship with a Jesus that doesn't even exist because it was only a figment of our imagination and then we become a God to ourselves and I don't know about you but I'm not fit to rule anyone or anything much less my own heart the scriptures keep us grounded in a real relationship with the living God made known to us in Jesus the, the, the passages here, it says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. He, the message says he is stamped with his mirror image. So we see the real Jesus in scripture. 
we don't have to, we, we can know God. We don't make up an image of God in our mind. We read and understand, oh, this is who God really is. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen God, which actually protects us from that third sort of risk of the two woo-woo, like two woo-woo, like this is all mystery. Who can really know? No one can really know God. It's all a mystery. This passage says, no, the Son perfectly mirrors God. He is stamped with his nature. I love that. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God would treat broken, messed up, addicted, you know, fighting, conflicted people, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God would treat women and children, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God would speak um, words of mercy and life to people who are poor or broken, look at Jesus. If you want to know how, what God thinks about religion, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God thinks about money or ourselves or sexuality or the human condition, look at Jesus. It is a mystery. That's what actually Hebrew says. It's, it's a mystery no more. In the past, God wrote this way and we got little glimpses of him and little words through individual people, but now he has made himself fully known through Jesus. It is not a mystery anymore. And so we don't need to say, oh, I can't really know. You can. And listen, the more you know him, the more it helps you be able to handle the stuff that we can't know and can't understand. Because yes, there is parts of God or the God life that are mysterious to us. Things we don't understand. Parts of the world we can't make sense of. Parts of our own story we can't make sense of. Things we don't understand why God hasn't answered or done yet. (laughs) There's lots of mystery in this. But someone once said, the closer your relationship with God, the more intimacy you have with him, the more able you are to handle the mystery, the stuff you don't understand, the stuff you don't know, right? Because if we are invited into a love relationship with God to learn to to love him, follow and trust him, the more trust we have in him, the more we're able to handle some of the mystery, the things we can't know or can't understand, the limitations we have as human beings or the unanswered questions or unanswered prayers. It's not too woo-woo for us. We can understand it. And in fact, when Jesus taught, and talked, it says the common people rejoiced at his words. Like in other words, oh great, like we understand this guy. He actually talks to us in ways about God that actually we can understand and make sense. This isn't too far off, right? They, many of them thought, oh, I'm not a religious leader. I haven't studied the Torah, the, the Old Testament. I don't know it all. I didn't go to school for that, or I'm not highly educated, or I'm just not a reader, or I don't, whatever, I can't understand. When Jesus talked, it says the common people were like, oh, that was so good. I needed that. I understand it. And in fact, the New Testament writers made a decision to write in a kind of Greek that was not sort of high Greek, um, only for the university educated or learned people or whatever. It was Koine Greek, the everyday language of the people. The New Testament itself was written like that. Now, of course, it's been translated into English and we need help understanding it. But the point is, it was made accessible to us. You can know God. You can be invited into this relationship with God, even through this book. And yet, so wherever we are, whether it's too high, too low, or too woo-woo, all of us need help. Which is why, over the next six weeks, we're going to class together. Some of you are excited. Some of you are twitching. (laughs) I said the word class. No, we're going on a journey, and we're actually into this series going, what on earth am I reading? What on earth is this book, and how and why does it matter to my life? Like, how can this help me? We know now the point is revelation. 
relationship with the loving, living God. So how do I read this, this whole thing, this collection of books? That's why it's not a book, it's a collection of books. How do I read this? We're going to class over the next six weeks. Now, one of the parts of this is a recommended reading, a book called Seven Things I Wish Christians Knew About the Bible. And this is a great book. It actually breaks down, and you can see there, just different aspects of what this uh, book is about, getting into like, well, how do we read the Bible? And like, what does inspiration mean? And what is this about? How was it even put together? You might've heard people say, oh, other people changed it or written it, ran. you know, it's written in different times. Well, how did this thing come together? It didn't fall from the sky. It wasn't dug up from the ground as a magic book. It came together in a specific way through history. And we can read about that. And this book helps you understand a little bit about that. And then we're actually going to take a field trip to seminary. And by that, I mean just show up to church, okay? Because over three weeks in a row, we have professors from Tyndale Seminary, Dr. Duncan Reed, Dr. Andy Witt, and Dr. Rebecca Eidstrom, who are going to be teaching us. And so if you've always kind of wanted to learn more about this, maybe you're like, oh, I'd love to go to the seminary, but I don't have the time or I don't have the money or I don't think I'm smart enough, whatever. This is happening here in our church. We get to do this together. And we're going to get into stuff like, well, how do you read, understand, interpret, and apply something written in here that was written thousands of years ago in a different language by different people that's so far removed from our culture. How does it apply? How do we know the things that do apply today and the things that don't, what, that don't anymore? How do we understand some of the messy parts and some of the texts that seem like, um, you know, there's holy war going on in this book? Some of the things that maybe you or many of your friends have said, oh, if that's true or if that's what that means, I don't want any of that. How do we deal with the messy parts? Um, how do we get into the fact that this is not just one book, but a collection of books and all different types? And the more we understand the types, the more we can understand what we're reading, ultimately to know Jesus more. And then I'd encourage you to keep or start reading along with our Bible reading plan. That's what we're doing is that as we're reading through this together, and you can find that on our website at thewell.ca. If you haven't jumped in, just jump in now. If you've missed a whole bunch of days, just start on the new day. Who cares how many days you miss? We want to stay up with this together. We're reading through the whole New Testament together in order to know Jesus more. And so my encouragement to you through these next six weeks is don't drop the class. <laughs> right? Perhaps you've been in school and high school or university or college or whatever, and you're like, in the first couple of hours, you're deciding, am I going to drop this class? Either, I don't understand this. I didn't even understand the syllabus. I didn't even understand the first five minutes of this class. This is over my head. I'm dropping it. <laughs> don't do that. Even if you think, oh, I don't know if I can fully understand it. Don't drop the class. Or perhaps we drop the class because we're like, oh, I already know all this stuff. Don't tune out. Don't drop the class in your mind. You might show up, but you're like, yeah, I'm not really listening. Don't drop the class. Stay with us. Or you might say like, um, I don't know how this connects with me. I don't think this is relevant in my life. I don't need this. <laughs> this isn't relevant. Don't drop the class. Stay with me. My hope and my prayer and my conviction, <laughs> and I can just see this in my own life, my own journey is, as we study this together, as we start to figure out how this thing works to help us know Jesus more, the God we were invited to have a close, personal, ongoing, growing relationship with, that you will find wisdom, life, connection in it. I want to end just kind of um, directing ourselves and, and doing what we just said this very thing does, is letting this book lead us to Jesus. And I want to take a moment. As you think about the year ahead of you um, and what you're facing in your life or in your work or in your um, personal circumstances, in your relationships, in the situation that you're in, that over these next six weeks, you know, if Jesus is really life, 
like purpose, meaning, vitality, the living word. If he is light, someone who illuminates and helps us understand or gives us hope in dark places. If he is the one who holds us together, who makes sense of the pieces of our life. We want to ask him for in a, in a moment here just to say, Jesus, can you use these next six weeks and let this written word come alive for me so I can see and know you, the living word, better? And so if you want, if you would, just take a moment, just close your eyes with me. And perhaps you are someone in this place where you're like, yeah, I need life. I need vitality. I've lost a sense of vitality, joy in me, or purpose, meaning in what I'm doing or the people I'm interacting with. Say, Jesus, (laughs) bring life to me through this written word. Perhaps you're someone who feels like you need light, like illumination, understanding, or just hope, light in a dark place. Say, Jesus, bring me light through these written words that are about you and by you and for you. Or perhaps you're someone who's saying, Jesus, just hold me together. If it's true that you hold all things together by your words, Jesus, living word. Use the written word to hold me together. Just take a moment, breathe slowly, and know that Jesus, the living word, light, life, wholeness, has heard your prayer. He knows you. And he will do that for you. Amen.